Let your heart be light. From now on our troubles will be out of sight. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the Yuletide gay. From now on our troubles will be miles away. Here we are as in golden days, happy olden days of your faithful friends who are dear to us. Gather near to us once more. Through the years we all will be together. If the fates allow, hang a shining star upon the highest bough, and have yourself a merry little Christmas now. That's pretty much what's going on in this world, right? You know, the actual original lyrics to that song ended. Instead of hanging a shining star upon the highest bough, it said, instead we'll just muddle through somehow. I decided to sing that song to introduce the idea that Christmas in America, especially for Christians, is not all uh, smooth sailing these days. And because I like to always speak the truth and sing the actual lyrics, once in a while I'll make them up when I forget them in certain places, but I knew you would know if I made them up. So I looked them up online and uh, found a website. There are uh, lots of places that put song lyrics on websites. I don't know what that's all about, but I'm glad for it. But when I looked it up, you won't believe what I found just above the lyrics. This line, advisory, the following lyrics contain explicit language. I told this to my wife. She goes, oh, I bet they put that on all the lyrics just in case there's something there. No, I looked at other lyrics on this website, and this is the only one that carries a warning that there is something explicit here that apparently could upset people who read the lyrics. What could it be? Could it be the word Christmas? Christmas? <laughs> Christmas? Could it be the word gay? I don't know. Surely the word gay doesn't offend anybody anymore in our country. It must be the word Christmas that is considered an explicit word. Wow. Have we really come that far in our country? This year, uh, you know, uh, if I should have made a graph and showed how how the opposition to Christ Christmas has gradually increased, but it seems like this year the graph goes like this in terms of opposition. Last week, one of our church family members was sharing with me that they work in a public uh, institution, 
And they said, we always put up a Christmas tree here and there, and somebody else puts one up. This year, the word came down, no Christmas trees. Last year, somebody who works in the public school told me the word came down, no mention of Christmas. Boom. Okay. And for those of us who love the Lord and who have benefited by the ministry of the Lord, we think, why do we have to hate the Lord? Why do we have to oppose the Lord? Why do we have to distance ourselves so much? Why does our society do that? I want to take you back to, to the Christmas story, to part of what we call the Christmas story, Matthew chapter 2, and try to understand today that it, we've got to go back to the first Christmas to understand the real source of the hatred for Christ, which is growing in America today. Now, don't fear, uh, this sermon is going to be a little heavy, but then it's going to get to a point of victory, okay? And uh, you will be able to go from here uh, rejoicing in the Lord, I hope. Matthew chapter 2, please follow as I read. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes and the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them until it came and stood over where the child was, where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country in another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. And he was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son." Meanwhile, Herod, when he had saw that he had been deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. I want you to understand here today that Herod hated Christ before he knew him. 
Herod hated Christ before he knew him. We see that around us today. People hate Christ, they oppose Christ, and they don't even know Christ. That's why, again, for us, we think, man, uh, you know, I, I just sensed that as we were singing, especially that last song this morning, we just know the Lord and we rejoice in his coming to earth because of what he's done for us. And we think, if you would just give him a try. Herod hated Christ before he knew him. Herod was called the king of the Jews, but it, it might be better uh, understood as the king of Judea. Judea would be the area roughly equivalent to the, the southern part of Israel. You know, they had a civil war many years before this time, and we had Israel to the north and Judah to the south. And Herod would have been called the king of Judah, and that authority was granted him by the Roman government. He was not the rightful heir to the throne of David, but he was the king over this part of the world. And so some foreigners, these men from the east, the Magi from the area that we call Iraq today, it would have been called Babylon or Assyria back then, that they came and they said, we have seen the star of this king, he's been born, we want to find him. And, and if you notice, they refer to him as a king, they talk about him shepherding the people of Israel, and Herod immediately became jealous. Um, look at verse 3. Herod was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Now, how did all Jerusalem know that the king was mad? Somehow the word got out, and apparently the way things went was when Herod was upset, everybody was upset, and so the word would go out, stay out of the king's path. Stay away from him. He was so insanely attached to his position and power that he had many people murdered, including his own sons, so that they could not take his throne. Uh, we could spend a whole, a whole sermon today on people not wanting to lose the power over their life to Christ. But we're going to move on from that and understand that hated, Herod not only hated Christ, but Herod wasn't acting alone. We're going to fast forward to the last book of the New Testament and read a passage of scripture that sounds a little bit cryptic at first, but it gets real clear by the end. And this tells us who was working with Herod. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten hordes and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there for 1,260 days. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. 
but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of all old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast with him. This is a snapshot of the history of Christ and the devil that goes all the way from a fellow named Joseph in the Old Testament all the way forward till the time when Satan no more has power. And because it's a snapshot, it greatly compresses some things. But I want you to understand a few of the, uh, the, the significant parts here that really are quite plain. Verse 1 is an allusion, as I said, to Joseph. Joseph had a dream. He said, the sun and the moon and the stars all bowed down to me. And that's why his brothers hated him and sold him into slavery into Egypt. Now, in their lifetime, they did bow down to him, didn't they? When they needed food and there was a famine in the land of Israel, they went to Egypt and they didn't even know he was alive and they didn't know who he was and they all bowed down and said, please give us food. And they all bowed down to him. But it was also a prophecy going farther forward about the person of Christ. You see, as we try to understand prophecies, especially in the book of Revelation, we look for those pieces that are extremely clear. A male child who was to rule all nations with the rod of iron. We know there's only one person that fits that description. It's Jesus Christ. And down here, we find out who the, who the serpent, who the dragon was, the devil and Satan. The devil and Satan. The word uh, Satan means adversary. If it was literally translated, it would be the word adversary. And the word devil means slanderer. And so those are two of his names. Just as the names of Christ communicate something about him, so the names of the devil. And so what we see here in this story is the dragon is pacing the floor like a nervous father waiting for a child to be born but this one has murderous intent. He knows that this child is going to come and be born who is to rule all nations. And so what is his goal? His goal is to be right there when the child is born and to kill the child. And of course, Satan doesn't do that personally. He always works through the world he was pacing the floor waiting. And that's what we see in Herod. Herod is, the, Herod is inspired. He is influenced. He is controlled uh, by, the, by, the, by the, the thought processes of the world. Was he demon-possessed? I have no reason to believe that he was demon-possessed. But what Satan did was infuse him with the jealousy that exceeded all jealousy so that he said, if somebody thinks he's going to take my place, I'm going to kill him. He did it with his own family, and he tried to do it with Christ. Unfortunately, that was only one battle in Satan's war on Christmas. And so Herod's inspiration, or the devil, is still opposing Christmas. We find in Ephesians 2, 1, 
It's talking about us who are born again, you who are born again, he, Christ made alive. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the way of the world, the, the course of life of the world, according to who? The prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Please, please understand, I am not trying to say that everybody in the world who doesn't know the Lord is just as wicked and terrible as he can be. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is the devil is constantly at work in our world, influencing our world through what Paul called the doctrines of demons when he wrote to, second, uh, when he wrote to Timothy. What are the doctrines of demons? Oh, things like this. I'm the most important person in the world. And if you get in my way, I'm going to bump you out. If I have to step on you on my climb up the ladder, I'll step on you. If I'm going to try to get to heaven, I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to earn my own way. I'm going to do good. All kinds of all kinds of ideas that are unbiblical find their source in Satan and they find their home in the world and the world pushes back against Christ. What does that look like in our world in America today? There are several things I would challenge you with and the first one is this, it's diversion. Diversion, what do I mean by that? Christmas is often referred to in our society, and I'm talking about American society, okay? Many countries of the world don't even celebrate Christmas as we know it, and that's because they've got whole other things going on that the devil is behind. I'm talking about our society. Christmas is often referred to as the season of giving, and whenever someone does a kind act of giving to someone less fortunate, the reflection is this. That's what it's all about. Now, lest you call me the Grinch who stole Christmas, let me say that giving to the less fortunate is a good thing, it's a fine thing, it's a godly thing. I am for it. You know, we do it in a couple of ways here. We, we, we had the, the Christmas shoebox thing. What a great way to give to the less fortunate not only some things to bless their life, but some things to bless their soul. We, we do it by supporting the uh, Lighthouse Mission in Bellingham, and they seek to help people in their body and their soul. I'm for giving to the less fortunate. Don't, don't, don't call me a Grinch here. But the scripture says that Satan parades around as an angel of light. The biggest work of Satan is not on Halloween when people wear the devil ears and, the, and have the fork and all that business. No, no. Satan is working in our society in the form of something really good. Something that people like. Is it possible that Satan has inspired our society to think that giving is a good deed that earns them merit with God. We have to remember when we're tempted to say that's the reason for the season that this is what we're talking about. She will bring forth a son and you will call his name Jesus 
which literally means he will save his people from their sins, or God will save. It's, connected, it's, it's derived from the Old Testament name Joshua, God will save. That's what the season is all about. It's all about a savior who came into the world. And frankly, that's one of the first and foremost reasons why people don't like Christmas because we keep talking about a savior. We keep talking about the fact that you need a savior, that you can't save yourself, and that cuts across people's pride. Don't tell me I'm not good enough just the way I am. And so Satan diverts us off of the best thing, the right thing, to a good thing, but not the best thing. How else does Satan work? He works through decadence. Decadence. What do I mean by that? Well, you know, uh, there's a little bit of commercialism associated with Christmas in our society. The Christmas decorations and the sales start just after Halloween. That's two months early now. Our society likes to call it the season of giving. But the more honest name would be the season of getting. You know, we, we, we and, I, and I'm not indicting Christians so much here, but in our society, we raise up our children to think this is all about you getting stuff that's going to make you happy. Again, believe me, I like to give some good gifts, and I have done so already. Not against that. But what does God say about possessions, about the stuff of life? He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Do you know anyone who is content with godliness and not stuff? The rest of this verse goes on to say, therefore, having food and clothing, let us be content. In other words, if, if I have something to eat and something to keep me warm and God, that is all I need. Is that the way it is at your house at Christmas? Is that the way it is in your heart? Is that the way it is in the city of Ferndale, in the county of Whatcom? When the gifts have been opened at your house, will you be thinking, how blessed am I? Or, is this all? Oh, I didn't get that thing that I wanted. Oh. If, if you get to that point, could I challenge you to just stop and look in the mirror and go, I'm playing on the devil's team this year. <laughs> None of us would do that on purpose. But our society just pushes and pushes and pushes on us. And it's hard not to mm, go along to jump in because it's nice to get stuff. But it's a tool of the devil at Christmas time. Another tool that he uses is distraction. Distraction. Busyness. There's lights to put up. You know, as I, as, I go to, uh, as I go to stores, it appears that 
the clerks in the stores, instead of, instead of asking about the weather, or today it'll be the Seahawks, or, uh, you know, are you having a good day? Now it's, are you ready for Christmas? Are you ready for Christmas? There's this big push. We got lights to put up. We got a house to clean. We got food to buy and prepare. We got all this stuff, gifts to purchase and wrap, and Christmas cards with a summary of your family's year. And again, I love all that stuff. I, somebody put a plate of cookies on my desk. Thank you very much. I love that. I will enjoy that while the Seahawks are giving one of those to whoever it is they're playing today. But do you remember this event from the life of Christ? Now it happened as he, as, as he went, as he was walking about doing the ministry, that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister named Mar Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Uh, in that day, the teacher would sit. It was a position of authority. And the, and the disciples would would sit at his feet, you know, in a sort of a submissive posture, if you will. And so Jesus came in and sat down, and Mary said, man, I'm getting some of this. And she sat right down there next to him. I don't know if you have any people in your life that you would say, if that guy's talking, I'm going to be there. You know, there's a few people like that in all of our lives. For Mary, it was Jesus. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached Jesus. You, you got to see the humor in this from the Lord's perspective. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Wow. Busyness can keep us from what is important. It can keep us, especially at this time of year, from personal or corporate worship. Have you seen any of the Home Alone movies? They're pretty, I think they're 20 years old now. This large family is hurrying and scurrying to get on a plane for a European Christmas. Uh, pretty much like what my family used to be. <laughs> we always used to go to Europe at Christmas time. <laughs> Either there or Marysville, one of the two. <laughs> and they're hurrying and scurrying and getting all their stuff and blah, 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 blah. And they, they get in the car and they go and, and, and the littlest kid gets left behind. And he has these tremendous misadventures, you know, as, as things go along. Hmm. Does Christ get left behind in all of the busyness of Christmas for you? It's really an important question to ask. And of course, it's not just a Christmas question. It's, it's, a, it's a life question. Are we so busy doing stuff that somehow we don't have time to listen to Christ uh, does it bother you when somebody pulls out a phone in the middle of a conversation and starts looking at it? 
Maybe when you're, you, you thought you were talking to this person, now uh, I think I have something more important. Excuse me just a minute here. For those of you that don't know what a smartphone does, you, you go like this when you're scrolling through Facebook. <laughs> Let's see, do any of my other friends have something interesting to say? Do you have time to be in church and undistracted from Christ? Do you have time to be in church and to be undistracted? Uh, boy, a time like this morning when we sing songs and read the scripture and just worship the Lord, that's, that's wonderful. I love our Christmas Eve service. You know, I, I'm the pastor. I plan the schedule. And many years ago, I don't know how many years ago, <laughs> 30 years ago now, and the first time I was responsible to plan that, I said, we're going to have this Christmas Eve service. And you know what? Over the years, it's just become a wonderful time to me. I feel like it's a time when I just stop. And even though I'm, I'm singing or I'm leading or whatever, it's a time when I just stop and just think about Christ. And I think that's the way we should be celebrating Christmas. And whether it's you know, and I understand we have family commitments. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty about not coming to Christmas Eve. I'm trying to say it's a wonderful way to put Christ first. And the big question is, is there a time like that in your life during the Christmas season? Martha, think about this, Martha wasted an opportunity to hear God's truth taught by God in the flesh. Do you suppose that after Jesus died and was buried and rose again and left the earth, that, that Martha thought, looked back and said, Mary, you should have been helping me? Or do you think Martha looked back and said, boy, I wish I'd have sat down and we'd have just had tuna sandwiches. When, when the devil can't get through with diversion and decadence and distraction, he starts to bring out the power tools. And the power tools start with discomfort. Discomfort. You hear about this story in the last week or two. The Oakville Fire Department is Grays Harbor County down in uh, southwest Washington. The volunteer firefighters... I don't know if they own the sign or not, but the volunteer firefighters put that sign up. And one of their commissioners got one complaint from somebody in the community, and he came to them and said, you've got to take that sign down. And apparently, <laughs> apparently they decided they were going to push back. And so they put the word out in the community and the community came to the next commissioner's meeting and the, you know, hundreds of people showed up and said, we want the sign. And so they left it up. Now, I hope I don't disappoint you when I say, I, I, I love the fact that they won that battle, but I'm not sure if that's the battle we're supposed to be fighting. I share this story just to say this. The same person who was behind Herod is behind people today. 
and they're doing everything they can to make us feel uncomfortable about our attachment to this Jesus who says he is the only savior of the world. And so there's an increasing discomfort in our society. There's an increasing push to push Jesus out. And if you happen to be hanging on to Jesus, you are going to get pushed by the society. Jesus prepared us to live in a place like this, but we haven't taken it seriously in America. If the world hates you, you should understand that it hated me first. Remember the word that I said to you? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Normal is persecution. See, our problem in America as Christians is we think normal is complete religious freedom so that we can put our sign out wherever we want in the public square here or there, and there should be no problem with that. And the, it would be better, I, I guess I could have put another word here, the word would be privilege. Privilege is to be free of persecution. I, I'm here to tell you, there's about two places in the world where, it, where it's still fairly re, religiously free. The only place I can think of is here in England. You know, if you go to Germany, you have to pay a tax to support the state church, and you have to register as a member of that church when your child is born, and it is a huge rigmarole not to be registered as a member of the state church. And you think, wait, Germany? Yeah, normal is persecution. Normal is the government against Christians. Normal is for Satan to influence a society to hate Christ. Now, again, I'm not trying to be a martyr. Uh, I'm still smiling here today. But we need to adjust our concept of normal and to realize that the devil is going to push, push, push. He's going to make it uncomfortable. Our society is going to make things uncomfortable, uncomfortable, and it's going to increase. When the devil gets his toe over the line, he'll just keep coming. Like the old story of the camel that stuck its nose under the tent. Next thing you know, it's right in there controlling things. Satan makes it uncomfortable for Christians. He makes it uncomfortable, especially for Christians, but for those who don't know the Lord, he discourages them from believing in Christ. Even if our gospel is veiled or hidden or, or, or covered, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who don't believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. The devil is pushing back against you as a Christian, and to the unbeliever, he's doing everything he can to cloud their vision so that they will not believe in Christ. He wants to impede their progress toward the gospel. How does he do that? Well, here's some, some common ideas in our society. Religion is a crutch. It's something that weak people need, but more enlightened people don't need it. The Bible is obsolete. It's an ancient book. It can't possibly have answers for 
today. Religion isn't scientific. Well, that's a true statement in, in great part. It's, it's God's truth, so it's supernatural, and yet it does agree with sci- real science. Christians are bigots and homophobes. All religions are leading to the same place. And we could go on and on with these ideas that Satan uses, and, and people absorb all those ideas, and you come along and says, Jesus loves you and has a great plan for your life, and, you're go- and, their, and their response is, you're a bigot. All religions are leading to the same place. I don't need your individual Jesus. When we speak of a Savior born to save the world, we should expect pushback. Because the devil wants to keep people from believing in Christ above all. You see, the battle for Christmas is ultimately about keeping people from coming to know the Christ as the Savior. Well, when all those weapons don't work, the devil still has one more tool, and this is perhaps his biggest one of all. It's direct physical attack. Direct physical attack. This is what he inspired Herod to do. Herod, you know, I, I heard somebody say this week, and if, if you're here, I would quote you if I could remember who you were, but they said, uh, when, you don't, when you have an inferior position, you resort to physical attack. When you can't really win with words, then you'll just win by, by physically taking someone over. Herod was inspired by the devil to try to kill Jesus. And of course, do you remember the Pharisees were too? If we let Jesus alone like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. They didn't come back and say, we've got to have new arguments, new apologists, people to preach against Jesus. Why is ISIS beheading Christians? Because of satanically inspired hatred. And because they can't out-argue us in terms of truth. Why are there legal battles that threaten financial ruin and jail time against Christians in our country because of the enemy of our soul? He knows if he can't convince us with words, he'll just send people to to affect our lifestyle in a bad way. Now, the big question that we need to answer today is this. How are we to respond to this dreadful enemy? Should we get all discouraged and tuck our tail Should we, like some Christians, sort of bend our message and bend our words so we kind of fit in a little bit better, sort of diminish the discomfort and diminish the the attack and, and, you know, really, you know, really the us and the Muslims, we're worshiping the same God. They say there's just one God, and and we say there's just one God, so really we're worshiping the same God. So really, us and the Muslims, we're we're right there on the same page. If us and the Muslims are worshiping the same God, um, we're in trouble, because if that's where we're headed, I don't want to be there. But that's the kind of pressure that's being put on Christians and some Christians are caving to that pressure 
Should we start organizations and, and fight for the culture of Christianity in our country? I don't think so, frankly. If you're a citizen, you want to elect a guy who's going to, you know, think in a godly way, do it. That's the way, that's the legal way we should do things. And, you know, you have a different opinion on how to go after some of those things. I'm open to that. But I know this for certain. I know this for certain because it's written in the Bible. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, that's that word Satan, your Satan, the slanderer, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Some people have made the, com made the uh, comment, they said, you know, a roaring lion doesn't roar until he's already conquered his prey. But you know why he roars then? He roars to keep everybody else away because he's having lunch. The devil is walking around saying, who can I conquer? Who can I take over? He is constantly on the lookout. I, you know, the devil can only be in one place at one time. So if he's here, he's not there. If he's there, he's not here. But it, the real problem for us is his inspired society around us. What are we supposed to do? Resist him. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Jesus said, look, this is going to happen. The worst response you could have to the devil would be to cave in and cower. But resisting looks like refusing to be scared into recanting our faith. And that could be simple opposition like people saying, you don't believe in Jesus, do you? And you thinking, now how should I respond to that? Rather than just going, oh, absolutely, I believe in Jesus. That's just very simple pushback that we get. And then, of course, it, it goes from there all the way up to those Muslims taking those Egyptian Coptic Christians and saying, do you believe in Jesus? Here's a chance for you to recant. And they said something like, you know, I believe in King Jesus as they died. Man. Refuse to be scared into recanting your faith. I hope it doesn't get worse in our country. What do you think? You think the forces that oppose Christianity are suddenly going to say, well, that's enough. <laughs> Not bloody likely. Yeah. I don't know what it's going to be like when my grand... When one of my grandsons stands in the pulpit, that would be a tremendous privilege if that happened. Boy, I don't know what it would be like for him. Wow. Refusing to be quiet about Christ. What does it mean to respond with resistance? It means refusing to be quiet about Christ. Just speak the truth in love. That's what God wants us to do. It means continuing to teach all of God's word, even the parts that oppose those things, those sins that are most precious to our society right now. 
It means continuing to make God's word the basis of your life, no matter what comes. To resist means to stand your ground by believing and obeying God, not giving in to the pressure of a Satan-influenced society. Even if that pressure is as kindly as the busyness of Christmas. And I have good news for you, Christian. When we resist, this is what is true for us, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to totally turn our society around. I, I don't expect that. I don't think that's the victory that God is most interested in right now. But whatever is born of God overcomes the world. You don't have to be mm, overcome. You don't have to cower. You don't have to give up your faith. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he that overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. I wrapped a present for my wife this week while she was out. I bought special paper and a big bow and special ribbon, and it looks beautiful on one side. <laughs> Last night she says to me, hmm, where'd that blue package come from? I said, oh. And I put the pretty side up. I am terrible at wrapping packages. I mean, I, I, I had all the paper in the world, and all the tape in the world, all the ribbon in the world, and it still looks like a five-year-old did it, you know? I'm getting A's in seminary, but F's in gift wrapping. But I'm being, uh, I, I am banking on her being blessed by what's inside in fact, I'm pretty sure after she opens it, she won't even remember how it was wrapped, except that I used it for a sermon illustration today. <laughs> so my question to you today is this. What are you going to focus on at Christmas time, Christian? Jesus? Or the season in which he is currently being wrapped? The season may very well disappoint you, but the Savior will not. The season may, may create a certain degree of fear or apprehension or worry, but the Savior will not. The haters will try to draw your attention away from the Savior, but we know the Savior, and we get to worship him in the beauty of holiness and enjoy Christmas to the max that it can be enjoyed. And when we do that, we are resisting the devil and when we resist him, God is worshiped, and that is ultimately what this season is all about. Heavenly Father, we are sick about the changes that have happened in our society in recent years. It bothers us. Uh, it angers us. It saddens us. It concerns us for our future. And some of those changes find their focal point in Christmas and the name Christ and the mention of a Savior. 
and we confess that we struggle. But we are so excited to know that if we are in you, you are in us, and you have overcome the world. Help us to focus on Jesus today. Help us to welcome him. Help us to not be like the world that is pushing him away. Help us to welcome him and help us to enjoy him. And because we're enjoying him, Lord, help us to enjoy this season. I pray in Christ's name, amen.